hey, hell yeah, man. Have another Miller Genuine Draft. And I'd be like, hell yeah, Jake Fromm. Because when, <laughs> when, you, when you're fishing for bass out on the lake, there's no rules about beer. Oh, boy. You know, um, where, the unt- you know where untapped doesn't go to? The lake. Welcome to Chapel Belker, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we are going to be reviewing the Vanderbilt episode, the home away from home game that ended up being way more folks out there than anybody would have suspected. But, you know, the narratives did actually talk clearly about this situation with all the dogs that went out to Nashville. But let's talk a little bit about our experiences, Nathan. So do you want to kind of share how your weekend was? You had a, a college football of a time. Yeah, no, I really did. Um I want to just say first off that it I I realize now how what how great it is to be a college football fan at home. That was one of my big takeaways from the weekend is like man, I understand why people don't go to the games. I just got to watch so much football and just do nothing for like 72 hours and it was so fun. Uh I thought I watched the Tennessee game. I really enjoyed that. Oh, man, uh, on, it was on so a good. really on a really deep fundamental level i enjoyed the tennessee game i also really enjoyed watching louisville look pretty competent for a quarter against notre dame that was really fun i missed you because i love you deeply and you had such a great time at dragon con i'm sure but it was it was sad to have you gone (laughs) i i also really like kind of feel bad for oregon and florida state because i know what it's like to have a team when your team it seems like they're really good, but they just can't finish or they just kill themselves. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, just small mistakes all the way through both the Boise state, Florida state game and the Oregon Auburn game led up to really unfortunate outcomes for those fan bases. So I, I actually had a lot of empathy there as, as someone who's been the fan of some very not competent fan uh, or not competent teams. I, I really feel them. So how was your weekend? How was your weekend? I know you you had a lot more eventful weekend than me. I I did one more thing, but I want to save that until we get to the next (laughs) segment. I wouldn't say that my time was more eventful necessarily. It's just different kinds of events. I nerded out. If you've never been to Dragon Con, I suggest everybody go to Dragon Con because no no way to describe what it is until you actually go see it. Because there is yeah, if you haven't if you haven't gone to Dragon Con, you have to go. It's great. Yeah, like it's outstanding. Every every piece of it. And some people I tell they're like, I don't know, I'm not that into anything. I'm like, yes, you are, and that thing is there. I guarantee it. Like I was able to go from football fan to uh, dressing up as uh, ladies wrestling uh, characters from TV shows to like Doctor Who characters. Like these are all the things I did in the span of a weekend. the the best thing I, I stumbled into on accident was a ninja warrior puppet obstacle course. And it was the best thing ever. And I'm not going to go into it any further unless someone specifically asked me about it because it was outstanding. And I'm not going to waste time on our, our football podcast show talking about this, but it was outstanding. It was one of the best, most wholesome things I've ever seen. And every year dragon con is better than the last year I went. So everyone needs to go, but my my favorite sports moment from Dragon Con itself was I was in the Hyatt and uh, we were watching the Atlanta United game. And in that moment, it made me wish that I was more of an Atlanta United fan because, you know, I, I just don't know anybody that, that really watches soccer all that much except for maybe one person. And they just so happened to be there at Dragon Con with me and they were able to kind of translate what was kind of going on and uh, talk about the fan base and everything. And it sounds like a really awesome, exciting fan base. And I just really enjoyed kind of all of the the fan interactions and all the, the chanting and all the songs and like they have entire songs no matter what's going on and like oh, yeah. inside jokes absolutely i think that's well, all hilarious the footy mob well there's i think there's two big football supporting groups mm-hmm. uh for atlanta united one of them is footy mob i can't remember what the other one is one way or the other uh it's you know they're both really really intense and they both spend a lot of time a lot of time coming up with things to do. Very, yeah. very coordinated during games. It's very cool. It sounds like a lot of fun. And it's just like such an infectious amount of fun that I really enjoyed it. And that, that Louisville-Notre Dame game, I really enjoyed watching that too. Just for a, for a whole, almost a whole half Louisville just doing A-OK. You know? And it was it was surprisingly entertaining to watch. Uh, I did watch the Tennessee-Georgia State game as well. And I was just tickled 
Tickled to death, as my great-grandmother would put it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, how could you not be? And, you know, it's <laughs> I understand having a program defining loss. I've been at a couple of those, but still pretty, pretty rough uh, for pretty rough for Tennessee. But I still it's hard for me to f- summon much sympathy, I guess, is what it I would say. Couldn't have happened to a better program. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, wh- what is what is the other pretty big defining thing you did over the weekend that you want to share? Okay, get ready. Yep. No, hold on. So hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, we can't do this. We got to go yet. over your. You do your narratives because. Oh, okay. I, I I always want this to be a partnership, <laughs> and once I get a running head start at this, it's all over. Yeah, so I want you, I want everyone to have a voice at this table, and I want people to be able to make space for themselves. So let's talk about, you know, narratives <laughs> you felt coming away from this game, Okay, narratives that you've yeah. seen on Twitter, etc. Which is good, because right before we get into stats, the stats will kind of break this down and kind of help us to kind of debunk all of these narratives. So as we've said before, one of the things that we like to do this show is make sure that we are debunking narratives uh, surrounding the game so that you don't continuously hear it over and over and over again until it becomes truth in your head. So we're going to try and break down those and shed a little light on the reality of this game. And Nathan's going to have plenty to share about that. But one of the, I heard a couple things um, about this game. One of the things being, George is still too conservative. Uh, So that's one of the narratives surrounding this game. Do you want to kind of talk about that? Because what I saw in this was, seemed like there was a lot more pre-play action, which is really exciting for me because that kind of leads me to believe that this Georgia game, this Georgia team is the exact opposite. That there is a lot more going on behind the scenes that you don't necessarily see, uh, which which sometimes people don't see action. They see plays lasting longer. They see certain things taking a little bit longer to unfold, and they just translate that as conservative. But to me, that's Jake Fromm has a lot more autonomy over this the, the team, and he's uh, what I heard in the one of his press conferences after the game was that he was seeing that what the defense was doing was was kind of only handing them run opportunities. And so that's why we saw as much running as we did. Uh, and so it's not necessarily that it's like not flashy or super exciting. It's more that Jake Fromm is playing super smart and he's he's given the reins of this team more so. Uh, what what did you see to help dispel that a little bit? Well, I, just, I don't think the numbers support, you know, there's conservatism because, well, okay. So when you say something like, Georgia's offense is too conservative. The key qualifier there is the word too, mm-hmm. because there's a difference between conservatism for conservatism's uh, point and between sort of playing the more meta game of the narrative. And I mean, mm-hmm. I need meta game in the very much the Magic the Gathering Dungeons and Dragons style way that we use the word meta game. Mm-hmm. The the game, you know, the sort of uh, 4D chess of what you're revealing in your playbook, etc. So I, I will say that Georgia was conservative. Um, there's no real getting away that, uh, getting away with that or away from that rather. Uh, but I don't think that that was a real detriment to anything that Georgia wants to do for the rest of the season. Yeah. And Not I have the stats to prove it. Do you have any other narratives that you've been seeing? Yes, some people have definitely been talking about... Well, some people said that Georgia's offense took a dive during the offseason. Like, it's not nearly as explosive. And the the games that they were kind of pointing towards were that, you know, a lot of the games had a lot larger margin with uh, Georgia coming out on top. And so, what do we have for that? What did you see that can dispel that? Well, I mean, it doesn't really matter, right? No. I, oh, here's the thing. Ultimately, yeah, style points do matter. But there is a very small difference between, I, I mean, and genuinely, I do, I do mean this. At the end of the year, I do think that at, there is not much of a difference on how, you know, Alabama's forty-five to three win over Duke will be viewed versus Van, Georgia's thirty to six win over Vanderbilt. I actually think Vanderbilt's probably a better team, uh, especially offensively. So I don't think, I, I don't really know that there was a reason to score those extra 15 points other than that it's just fun and i do think that as much as i do have some i do have some criticisms the way kirby called his game and we can get back we can get into that in you know observations but i don't think that it's really worth crying too much over this particular spilt milk because a 
I don't think it's going to affect us the rest of the season. And B, I can't come up with an objective reason why this is going to hurt us going forward. And if anybody can, that's fine. Come up with something where like, you know, more conservative teams have a hard time, blah, blah, blah. But I've tried to find that in the numbers and I can't find it. Um, so I can't really find an argument for why it matters, especially when at the end of the day, you're talking about a 24 point win where you covered. And yeah, I, maybe it would be better if we won 45, 14 or whatever, but I think that's basically the same game as so far as the numbers care about it. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, if you have a 481 yards in the day, I mean, it's really not a concern necessarily other than, and we can talk about this in in the, the takeaways is that you might argue there should have been more points with 481 yards, but we'll get to that. Okay. So let, let, let's talk, let's talk about something. Let's talk, let's get into stats. Okay. I need, I need what you're doing. Whatever you're doing, you're in your car and you're on 285 because you're a Georgia fan and you live ITP because you're a hipster, but you like this podcast because you're kind of a dork. And maybe you were in Redcoats with me. Uh, and you're somehow putting up with all this bad traffic because, you know, white collar life, whatever. And you're in traffic right now. And I need you to stop and pull off to the side of the road. And I need you to buckle the f up. What? No, there's no amount. There's no point harness that you could have that I would not advise you to add another point harness right now in this moment. Because the other thing I did this weekend was that I have been, as we've discussed, we are... Uh, contributing to SB Nation this year. And one of the things that I'm doing is working with their advanced stats people, which I, it's not like a paid, I don't think it's really a lot of paid people at SB Nation. It's just a bunch of different people who work on the blogs, who are all on a Slack channel. And we got access to a bunch of really good numbers this weekend. And I learned a scripting language, R, and learned how to use R Studio, sort of. And I spent 48 hours putting together not quite everything Bill Connolly has in his advanced box score for Georgia Vandy, or what he would have in his advanced box score for Georgia Vandy, but enough numbers arranged neatly enough that like looking at them gives me the kind of satisfaction that I'm imagining like someone looking at their child feels. Is that wrong? No, I, I stand by that. Um, so we have very good numbers. <laughs> no, These sense. numbers I think are going to come out this year or this week on dog sports. We're in, we're sort of trying to, uh, what's the word, even out how that happens now. So I don't know for sure if they're coming out this week. I think going forward, the plan is for them to come out every week. Once we can, a lot of what I did this week in the sheets, I did sort of half automated, half by hand. We're trying to get it where it's all the way automated and we can just spit out a big sheet of the advanced box score for a game. Uh, and these numbers, even the ones that I did have individual things that they could be that they could have adjusted. So uh, having said that though, I have a lot of numbers and I think there are, you know, we can go over sort of the basics and the overall, the overall numbers for the game. But I think my main narrative that I would pull from these numbers is that this was a pretty thoroughly dominating win. And while there are some things that we might be concerned with, I don't, that we might be concerned with in a micro sense, in the macro sense, with the rest of the context of the game surrounding them, I would not personally be worried about it. So, you ready? All right, so here's the advanced box score rundown oh, overall. Yeah. So plays, Georgia ran 64 plays to Vanderbilt 62. Georgia netted 481 yards on the day to Vanderbilt's 225. Uh, Georgia had 7.52 yards per play. Vanderbilt had 3.63. Uh, Georgia had 11 drives, as did Vanderbilt. Success rate. Georgia had 54.69 success rate. Note that the average here is around 45. Vanderbilt had 33.87. Passing success rate. Georgia had 43.48, just a touch below average. Vanderbilt had 20.59. Not good at all. From an SEC team, mind you. And this is also, I think, part of the problem. And looking at these stats, one of the things that they revealed to me is that I think because we played Vanderbilt in the first game and we are thinking of them as an opponent that we can beat easily we have started to think about this game as though it weren't an sec game this is a team that has sec players on it there are three skill players on vanderbilt's offense that i think are going to have very good seasons and really beat the crap out of people i worry that the small sample size of this is making people think that we're doing what we should have done when actually what i think we're doing is beating an okay team pretty soundly moving on 
Uh, passing success rate, 43.48 for Georgia. Uh, passing success rate for Vanderbilt, 20.59. Rushing success rate for Georgia, 62.50. That is a ridiculous number. Rushing success rate for Vanderbilt, 50. A little bit above average. But that 12% rushing percent, the 12% net uh, success rate difference is going to have you win the game about 70% of the time. But that's just in rushing. In overall, we're sitting there at 20%. A 20% success rate difference is 80 to 90% of the time you win the game. So before we get into anything else, this is a game that Georgia des- deserved to win. And yes, there are things that we can say that we need to improve on. And I think that we, I think that we know these coaches well enough to know that they will. Uh, but I don't, it's hard for me to act like this was anything but a thorough beat down. If this looked more like a traditional game between two spread teams where we were at, where we won like, 52 to 10 i think we would all be happier about it but i'm not sure what would appreciably change about how good to georgia is or what our outlook for the rest of the season is right so going down into the individual things so we've got some breakdown things so stuffed run rate i think is a very good one that the the number of runs you have on the the percentage of runs that you have on the day that go for less than two yards so 12.50 for georgia 10.71 for vanderbilt so that's not great. That gets into sort of like one of the biggest problems, I think, with this game with us um, offensively. Opportunity rate, which is the percentage of the time that the – basically the percentage of the time that the offensive line does its job and gets the uh, ball carrier five yards. It's sort of a stand-in for like uh, adjusted line yards. So opportunity rate for Georgia was 6.50 or 65% and for Vanderbilt, 46%. 46% is right around average. 65 is very, very high. Overall explosiveness rate, we're, we're using Kirby's definition here, which is plays of 13 or more yards. Uh, Georgia had 21.8% over explosiveness rate, and Vandy, and this is really one of the, I think, key numbers on the day, had 6.45 explosiveness rate. They just couldn't get anything happening downfield. Explosiveness, explosiveness pass rate for Georgia was 25%, for Vandy was 10.71. Explosive run, um, explosive, sorry, that was explosive rush rate. Explosive pass rate, and this one's really impressive, is 17.39 for Georgia and 2.94 for Vandy, which, and considering how worried we were about their Oof. sort of big three receiving duo, Kalijah Lipscomb, uh, goodness, what was the what was the running back's name? Um, Kayshawn Vaughn and Pinkney, the tight end. Considering how worried we were about those three, the fact that only 3% of their passes went for explosive gains of more than 13 yards is pretty ridiculous. So red zone success rate inside of the 20, 40% for UGA, a little bit below average, but whatever, 11% for Vanderbilt. Now, part of that is because Vanderbilt really didn't possess the ball much inside of the 20, so that's all the small sample size. But if we go to scoring opportunity success rate, which is stuff inside of the 40, uh, anytime we possess the ball within the 40, 53% or 53.85% for Georgia, which is very good. And 23% for Vanderbilt, which is not good. Short rush success rate. This is actually something that I think is worth tracking going for going forward. Basically when you have one or two, when you have less than three to go on a first, second or third down, how often do you convert that rush? Uh, so only 33% on the day, only one out of three times did we do it correctly and about 60% for Vanderbilt. So that's a number that we need to track going forward because that's not very good right now. Uh, scoring opportunities total. So how many, how many drives did we have that we possess within the 40 or, and, or long touchdowns from outside of the 40? Uh, that was eight for Georgia and three for Vanderbilt touchdowns, obviously three for Georgia, zero for Vanderbilt scoring opportunity drives, percentage of our drives that were actually ended in a scoring opportunity where we possessed the ball within the 40, 73% for Georgia and 28% for Vanderbilt. And scoring opportunity touchdown rate, obviously zero for Vanderbilt and 37.50 for Georgia. My main takeaway, and we can get into the nitty gritty of that stuff, is that this, aside from maybe like two stats, this was a pretty thorough domination. And if this had happened in 2011, what if you looked at this stat line and you took the names off of the th- off of the off of the stats and you said this game happened in 2013? What is the team that won? What's the name of the team that won? Who would you say that that was? Yeah. Because it's not Georgia. Okay, give me, a, give me a click. That's okay. That, give me a click. Here's my point. This was a very thorough domination in which one team won in pretty much every phase of the game by sort of suffocating their opponent, not necessarily scoring a lot of points, but just pretty much shutting down everything the opponent wanted to do. 
if I gave you these stats and I said, this game happened in 2012, what was the name of the team that won? Who would you say? Back in 2012? Yeah. Oh, probably Alabama. Yes. That's an Alabama this thing. This is an Alabama thing. This is this is a vintage Alabama box score. Now, there are reasons that that may or may not work in the spread economy that we currently live in, but you cannot fault Kirby for zigging when everyone else is zagging. You can interpret this kind of play, I think, in one of two ways. One of which I think would be to say that Kirby is like a, an inverterate recidivist, that he's like a conservative and a small C conservative and that he doesn't want to take risks, which I think there is something to that. But you can also interpret it to to say that everybody is making their defenses. The, the personnel makeup of defenses right now is to go fast, sideline to sideline, and lighter, right? You don't see a lot of 350-pound nose tackles right now, even on yep. Georgia's defense. Yep. I think that this kind of no. this kind of win, and we when we get into the individual rushing numbers in particular, this kind of win is very... I think indicative of a team who can give problems to defenses that are used to defending the spread, right? This is a, this is a vintage Alabama win. Now I don't know Mm -hmm. if that means that we can beat Alabama, but I don't think there's anything in these numbers that tells me that we shouldn't expect to go to the sec championship and beat Alabama. However ridiculous your expectations are right now. I think it's actually pretty fair to keep them there. This is an, this is an incredibly talented team. This is not the best Vanderbilt team. That's fine. But this is not a team that is going to lose games to bad teams. You can see that already from the first set of samples. Now looking, you know, looking into, we have uh, receiving stats, we have rushing stats, we have stats broken down by first, second, and third down. Was there anything looking at these that really stood out to you here? I have a couple of things, but just an individual, when we get into the nitty gritty of it, is there anything in particular that you felt was worth pointing out? Uh, I get really into the, uh, the downs data. I'm really excited to get into those, um, but I don't think you want to go there quite yet, right? This is some interesting stuff to me. I have not, I, I've watched the highlights of the game. Like, I've watched the, the condensed version of the game where, you know, you take out all the commercials and you just see the play-by-play. I have not watched it twice like you have, but, and and all that to say is that this may be skewed for me, but what I'm interested in is that, let's look at the offensive downs. So, first, second, third. So Georgia first downs, they had 33 plays. Georgia second downs, 23 plays. Georgia third downs, seven. We were just being super, super efficient in the standard downs, which is really exciting, really, really great. Our yards per play on both first and second down were right over eight yards per play. Uh, But then for third downs, in that small sample size, we were just at two yards per play. And so I don't know if that comes from trying different things, putting different running backs in there to try and see who will be the ones that are doing what. Um, who's fitting into what scheme, what's going on, or is it just because they were taking away that pass, uh, that, that, that actual pass play every single time we went up to bat for third down, essentially. Just like Jake Fromm was saying in the, in the post-game conference, he was saying that he kept on calling audibles and, and moving to run plays. And so he may have been calling it wrong, he may have been calling it right, I don't know, and, and the defense caught it. Or it could be that we just didn't pull out anything too crazy on third down. I don't know what it is, but that, that's, that is one thing I looked at and said, that one thing is concerning uh, because it is kind of indicative of last year's offense, not being able to, to kind of, I think it's a real concern. And I think that Georgia is right to be concerned about its short yardage rushing offense. But here's a couple of things I will point out. Georgia had mm-hmm. seven downs. As you say, yep. that's always going to be seven third down plays. That's always going to be a small sample size. You're always going to have problems with that data to begin with. But if you look at their second down data in particular, I think it kind of shows us what's going on here. So on second down, Georgia, Georgia snapped the ball 23 times on second down and gained 187 yards for a yards per play of 8.13, which is just ridiculously good. If you, if you, if you have a yards per play of eight, you're going to win most games. Right. But I think really the telling number, there's two telling numbers to me. Mm -hmm. One yards per play rush 10.86. That is ridiculous. That is deeply <laughs> ridiculous. Success rate, 60%. Yeah. Passing success rate, 43%. Rushing success rate, 73% on second down. Right? And then if you look at it, very low stuff run rate, 6.6%. But even our short rush success rate was 40%. So what that means is when we didn't have much to get, we were getting it on second down. I think a lot of the reason that we were averaging such a small yeah. yards per play on second down, third down was because we had such a, we had such a short line to gain on many of the downs. Right? And I mean, at the, at the end of the day, 
Mm-hmm. The one play I know we're all thinking about is the play where we hand this like it's, it was like a short handoff to Harrion. We had Robertson come in like a jet sweep motion, but he came too early, so he couldn't have gotten the ball. So he didn't really fool anybody. And then if you wa- if you rewatch that play, what ends up happening? Mm-hmm. This was like a third and one, and it was down in. Uh, there was third and one, and then like a fourth and one, and then we turned the ball over, and it was down in Vanderbilt's end. On both of those plays, yeah. and especially in the fourth down one, something very interesting happened, which was that we called a very similar play both times, where we were running a short handoff, where Harrion was basically coming from like fullback depth. And when you hand off from fullback depth, you have to kind of just like pick a gap and go to it. And the very unfortunate thing is that, as luck would have it, the one guy that he picked both times to go behind just got beat, which if you watch the play again, all four of the other guys had three or four yards of distance. If that's a handoff from normal depth, that's an easy first down, but he just stacked up on Trey Hill because Trey Hill had somebody get lower than him. So to me, that's more indicative of like, this is a coaching moment for Trey Hill than it is really a failure of the offensive line. I, I, you know, on my takeaways, I, I'll yeah. talk about like, I think that Kirby might be having implementing some bad tendencies on James Coley, but I do think James Coley, for the most part, did a really good job of taking sort of the no brainer second level meta plays. And what I mean that by what I mean by that is like, when we had Shaney, we would often talk about how like, oh, well, he wants to develop this so he can play off of it. So yeah, maybe the zone read doesn't work. But if it doesn't work, then eventually the zone read counter will work. Well, this was the first time that I saw Georgia offense run the zone Mm. read counter, like with a lot of success two or three times. So I have timid faith in Coley that he knows what you can run off of those unsuccessful plays, right? Like on both times, like both third and fourth down, Mm -hmm. the inside quick slant, like the hot slant to Robertson was open on both on both of those plays. And in fact, during third down, like I think positionally, like just in terms of how people were on the field, Vanderbilt took a timeout on third down, I think solely to cover that up because their slot corner was about six yards off of Robertson. And he was probably going to take it for a touchdown. Even with this, if he had beaten the safety on that play, if we'd thrown a quick slant to him, he was going to take it to a for a touchdown. I have to imagine that Coley is going to see that Mm -hmm. there's just some really obvious derivatives you can run off of that failed play that will work and what i've seen from him so far is that he's willing to run that kind of stuff and we can talk about the new actions he put into the georgia run game when we get into the next um into kind of the next situation but i mean at the end of the day there just aren't a lot of bad numbers for this team on here if we look at even if we look at the individual teams right or the individual stuff so uh receivers right uh robertson has uh d rob has four catches his success rate of 50 percent, explosive rate of 25 percent. that's really good um if you look at everybody as a rusher robertson's even Mm -hmm. pretty good there right 100 percent success rate 100 percent explosiveness rate as a uh as a rusher um, Cook had a really good day, right? He only had two. He only had two carries, but he had a fifty percent success rate, fifty percent explosiveness rate. He just was going pretty big. His opportunity rate was a hundred percent, which he meant, which meant he got at least five yards mm-hmm. each time. Uh, Harrion had a very workmanlike day, and for having Harrion and Swift had the most carries at twelve and sixteen apiece, respectively. Harrion had sixty-six percent success rate, which is ridiculous. He had an eight point three three percent explosiveness rate, so he was just kind of like getting exactly what he needed. However, he only had a 16% stuff rate. So he was basically he was also he was basically always getting the number of yards that we needed, right? His short run success rate was 50% there. Uh White, or sorry, Swift, 16 carries, uh success rate of 62 and a half, which is ridiculously good, and explosiveness rate of 25, which is also very good, and a stuff rate of 6.25, which is also very good. A little bit more explosive, a little bit less likely to get stuffed, and but still a just dead-on consistent game. The game a game from someone who looks like that they should be in the periphery mm-hmm. of the Heisman uh, trophy conversation. He's not gonna get enough usage to do it. But I mean 68.75% yeah. opportunity rate over 16 carries is really, really good. So of his 16 carries, like 11 of them or whatever 12 of them went for five yards at least which that's just a very good day you know i mean and and if you want to talk about the defense we don't have our individual Mm -hmm. defensive stats yet they just haven't come in from the people that we're getting our defensive stats from or that we're getting all our stats from it's the 
it's called, they're called SAS and it's like, I think it's called, I think it's sports analytics system. They're really great. Their data is really good, but we just haven't gotten individual defensive stats yet. But if we look at sort of what the big three that we were worried about, what they did against UGA, it was really not much, right? Uh, Vaughn had 15 carries, 46% success rate, 13% explosiveness rate, 6% stuff rate, opportunity rate of only 46%. So he had just like a dead average day. His yardage was down from his normal. He did. I mean, it was just like he had some experience. He had some um, success in the first half, but really didn't do anything in the second half. And then if we look at their receiving, uh, Vanderbilt's receiving like threats, like their biggest threats that we were worried about, right? Like Kalijah Lipscomb had seven care or had seven receptions, 14% success rate and 0% explosiveness rate. So he didn't catch a seat. This is the most explosive player maybe that we're going to see this year outside of Alabama. Didn't catch a single pass of more than 13 yards, right? Pinkney, who we're really worried about, 33% success rate, 0% explosiveness rate. In fact, like Vanderbilt only had one pass go over 13 yards on the day, one to Pierce, I think in like the second quarter. Um, so this is, it's just hard for me to say much. Mm-hmm. There, are, there isn't really anything in these stats that support that A, UGA was there's not much that says that UGA did really anything to do anything but tell you that they are a top two or three team. And there's also not much to suggest that their conservatism was mm-hmm. unwarranted. This was this was a this was a thorough domination. And I yeah. think, you know, I test wise, we could talk we can we can kind of transition into what we saw, but like I think one of the things I took away from this is like I don't know for sure that there was like a gentleman's agreement or like a handshake between these two coaches, but in the second half, we were just calling the same six plays over and over. And so were they. And the difference between the second half and the first half was oh, yeah. that ours still kind of worked when they knew exactly what we were going to do every time. So, I, I mean, I don't know. Are you seeing anything else in these stats that like stands out at you? There's nothing concerning in the stats by any means other than that that downage. But after working through it, I mean, it's kind of indicative of the plays we we, we called as well. Kind of talking about like if you what I, I really found interesting was the you kind of talked on it a little bit was like the yards per play rushing and passing and just seeing like, oh, obviously we were doing this and it was working. And obviously we we're doing this and it was working and, and this down or that down. But, you know, it kind of dispels that that myth pretty quickly. But I mean, just like you said, like this is this is a, a, an Alabama game 2012 alabama game is what it really looks like and and that's kind of what i was thinking before um and then you kind of put it into words for me it's just it's just kind of funny how it all worked out and it is of course like the 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 teams that are getting the looks today are the teams that are scoring like 40 50 60 points in a game like the oklahomas they're like man this oklahoma team is incredible but it's really just like how quickly and how much more can they score than their opponent and that's how they win like, they don't need defense. They just need to have the most offense possible. How high is the ceiling? And this is a team that's playing both sides of the ball pretty balanced. And, and that's exactly what the stats say. So um, I'm pretty excited well, about Let's transition that. into what we saw and, like, you know, our takeaways from the day. Because I think the stats, yeah. what they really inform us is that, like, we all need to calm down. Yes. Because yeah. the art well, issue is that off, we always we didn't want run more. 100 plays on offense. We ran 64 plays on offense, which is, like, dead average. We had we had a dominant an averagely dominant game. An average dominant I don't I don't even know how to say it. We just did exactly what we needed to do. We didn't play with our food. There was no chance. If you felt in the second half that there was a chance that Vanderbilt's coming back, I don't know what you saw. Right? Uh UGA, and this is per ESPN, so I don't know how accurate their stats are, but this kind of feels right to me. But UGA had twelve quarterback hurries or QB pressures. That I mean, so in the second half, their main passer, right, the guy who was supposed to be the cog of their offense, just couldn't do anything. Their main passer. What am I saying? Of course, he was their main passer. The, their quarterback could not get settled the entire second half of the game. And yeah, we only had one sack, but he was just running for his life on every play. So anyway. Some of my favorite offensive pieces coming out of this game, James Cook and Brian Harry. And I mean, DeAndre Sift is, of course, super great. Uh, absolutely incredible. We already know he's going to be great, but uh, we knew what Brian Herring was kind of capable of uh, going into this game, and then we we definitely got to see just kind of the fruits of his offseason labor in this game. I felt like he he definitely played the Nick Chubb role that uh, that Nick Chubb played in previous years. Just kind of the workhorse. He was up the middle guy. He was carrying guys left and right uh, down the field and still getting the, the the yards he needed. And James Cook is definitely super fast, and he seems like he's gonna. Uh, kind of play a similar role, but it hasn't kind of seen like, like where he might go after this, uh, whether it's uh, more of like a workhorse or out in space, kind of like Zamir White was doing uh, the last 
uh, during this game. But another favorite offensive piece was definitely D-Rob. I think that the hype is finally real. Uh, He seems like he's figured the game out. He seems like he's finally relevant. He's getting the looks he needs. He's getting the yardage. He's playing smart. He's, He's doing what he needs to do at this point. And I'm super excited about that. You remember that little, I, I call it a silly little screenplay that we had like three uh, linemen running down the field with landers behind them? I thought that was awesome. And that was kind of, I would say, I would, I talked a little bit about this in the preview episode, hoping that Coley is kind of get, he's going to be a little bit more creative and be a little bit more, uh, just kind of do some new stuff with the offense. And that was definitely one of the the main examples that I would kind of uh, point to when I said, when when I would try to say like that's my proof that's my example for this it was just a thousand pounds of dude running down blocking for landers and I thought that was awesome I think that our wide receivers and our tight ends played tremendously as 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 far as the blocking goes like I can point at a number of plays where Robertson Landers Simmons Werner and Wolf all made solid blocks that led to explosive yardage like that wasn't just pure talent from running backs or or receivers that was that was talent from our blockers and our, our everybody that's on the receiving core can block well. And I'm super excited about that. But I'd say those are my, my biggest observations. Yeah. I think those are all sort of fall in line with what I thought. I have some, a little, a few more specific ones. I think Trayvon Walker mm-hmm. has incredible short area quickness. Yep. I'm really excited about them. He's powerful. He's fast. His lateral movement. I, one of the weird things I saw a lot from this team is that, like defensively, the lateral movement is just so good, so smooth. A lot of the freshmen, a lot of the freshmen in particular, have the ability to get after the passer, recover, and then move laterally and cover ground left to right so so well, sideline to sideline. Uh, Trayvon Walker, I thought his burst, it, on top of being fast and strong and disruptive, I thought in particular his shorter area burst to finish tackles. There was a tackle where he basically chased the wrong guy on the read option and then turned around and caught the running back after like a two-yard gain which is just ridiculous use of his uh skills i thought jordan davis looks really good he and kirby both talked about he has got to work on his conditioning i know he only played like 20 snaps this year or this uh, game but you know he -hmm. looked really good really powerful taking on blocks shedding i thought him and vonta walker i thought in in general the defensive line looked excellent the whole day especially in the second half uh walker i think is a really good piece malik herring didn't play kirby said something weird about how he needed to continue to work better and do better in practice or something so i i don't i don't know what's going on there but really really good demetrius robertson i would say is somewhere between a mecole hardman and a terry godwin he's he's Probably not Mecole Hardman fast. He is very fast. And I don't know that he is as developed as Terry Godwin was. Terry Godwin was always just like in the right place at the right time. But he still, I think, is a true legitimate former five-star recruit. He seems to be living up to that. His hands look really good. He seems to know the offense well. Very excited about him. I thought that the 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 run game play calling in the first three drives in particular was really good. We ran a zone motion counter where we were doing like a – I guess it's sort of hackneyed to say like a read option, but we're running this like read option zone blocking thing. Right. And we've been running it for a long time. We ran it under Cheney too. And one of the things that really frustrated me about it is that Fromm never kept it and he never kept it today, but they were running like a counter off of it to the left where they would run everybody to the right, especially when the right was the boundary side. And then, you know, you'd have uh, for one of the big games, I think it was Swift, bounced it back out to the left. I think that was a plan. I think that was the plan. That was like a real counter. And it it just looked really, really good. I don't know if they've worked on their action, the run action or the read option in the backfield, but it looked a lot cleaner to me. It it looked less desultory, like, oh, maybe Fromm will take it. And Fromm was doing this little like hesitation half-step thing where he was faking taking the handoff or he was faking keeping it and pulling it back in and taking like a half step, almost like option triple option style. And he really suckered a couple of defensive linemen that we using that, which I thought was really good. As I said before, I think that even the, the third goal, the third down call wasn't bad. It was just like one miss block twice. And yeah, I'm a little frustrated. I think Kirby has to get over his stupid man ball tendencies. I think if you need a short third down, line it up tight and throw it over their heads or run it out of the two, two split or out of like three by one personnel or out of, 
you know, 11 personnel with two wide receivers, whatever, run it out of something wide and get eight yards like you've been getting the entire night. We were averaging like eight, nine yards when we were going three or four wide. And every time we packed it in and they could get numbers in the box, I mean, that is just a physics problem that you're not going to win a lot of the time. I'm not saying we don't have the talent to win it sometimes. It's just that like teams, I think that even in the past 25 years, teams have gotten so good at catching those schematical things where they make adjustments on the fly. When you run, when you line up in two tight end and you've got, and you're at third and one, they think you're running it up the middle and they're going to take it away. So you have to have something to run off of that. So, and the, the, the idea that we haven't done any play action in that situation, we haven't done like a quick slant. We haven't done, I don't know, drags across. We haven't done an out pass. Like there's so many ways to, to, to solve that situation out of the same formation. So I don't get it. I understand that that might be because, you know, there was some kind of agreement that we weren't going to run the ball up or we didn't want to get, you know, we wanted to go be good sportsmen or whatever. Like I, there's arguments for the way we played and, and, I get it. It's just that that kind of thinking cost us in games that are close. You cannot have the tendency. If your tendency is in this situation, I will make the wrong decision every time. At some point, that's just your tendency. There's only so much context and can can do to explain bad mm-hmm. coaching decisions. And so that's one that I'm I I not I'm not I don't think Kirby's stupid. I think he knows that. I just I really hope that that's not something that hurts us going forward. Um, however, there were, that was not all bad things. Uh, that's all the bad things I have from, I thought looked really good. Most of the day, uh, he had a couple of bad balls to Pickens in the end zone. Like he was throwing like, uh, basically like, like fade routes to both sides of the end zone. And he's really good at that back shoulder fade and his pat, neither of those passes seem to have much arc. And I don't know if that's just like, he had two bad passes, like that's fine, but like they weren't put in the same, the right spot and they weren't put in the right angle. He's six, five, like put it over his head and drop it down in the basket or whatever. Um, other than that, I thought he looked good. Uh, we worked the middle really well. Titan had three catches, but we also were throwing to Robertson over the middle. He had a really nice, like, like a crossing route and he picked up a block downfield that looked really nice. I think, like you said, the downfield blocking was really good. You know, um, that was both on the wide receivers, but also from the offensive line. Um, just absolutely dominant, save a couple of plays, bad interior blocks. I think uh, Cade Mays, or no, uh, Ben Cleveland had a bad block that ended in pressure that ended a drive early in the game. And then the bad block from, uh, who was it, Trey Hill, who missed a block on that fourth and one. Uh, other than that, mm-hmm. 100% dominant. Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wilson are athletic. They get downfield. They're fast. They block hard. They get to the second level, and they just take people out of place. And And, you know, we can get as critical as we want of Kirby and of Coley for for game calling the way they do, but ultimately, when you when you average eight yards a rush, and you basically are playing eleven on ten every play because one of those guys is just erasing a guy from the play, it's hard not to rush because you always have numbers when you have linemen that are that fast who can just literally take a guy out of the play. Trey Crowder, I think, and Monty Rice looked good. But I think they're both clearly less athletic than their backups. They got out-athleted, I thought. Quay Walker, who was filling in for N'Kobe Dean, who only played one snap but apparently had some pain in his ankle. I thought Quay Walker looked really good. Channing Tindall had a really dumb penalty, but played, I thought, very... They both played really, very well. I think the future is really bright at that. And I would not be at that position. And I would not be surprised if Trey Walker or Monty Rice get pushed. It wasn't that they looked bad. They were there at the right time. And, but I don't know that either of them is fast enough to do the diagnose the play and blow it up for a tackle for loss thing. And if we really want havoc, I think we need the fastest mm-hmm. players who can diagnose it an offense correctly. And I think that's probably Nicobe Dean and Channing Tindall at this point. So I'm not saying that those two are going to lose their starting spots. I just would say I would not be surprised if at least one of them is not starting at the end of the year. So those are my, those are my observations. Those are the things I saw. So give me your overall takeaway from this game. What do we feel going forward? What do we want to see going forward? This defense has a much higher ceiling than last year. Uh, I know we lost our best defensive player, but I think Eric Stokes looked really, really good. I thought, you know, LeCount was up and down as always, but J.R. Reed was just stock steady the way he is. He's just excellent all the time, and it's almost boring. But ultimately, I think in the front two levels of the defense, in the front seven, (laughs) we have so much speed. Somehow, I think we have a faster defense this year than we had last year. But I mean, just, and I mean, I didn't even talk about Nolan Smith. Mm -hmm. Nolan Smith was, 
Nolan, Nolan Smith, per pro football focus, which, you know, depending on how much you like them or whatever, Monsilth was the highest rated player on Georgia's defense. That's ridiculous. The dude is just absolutely insane. He flushed the quarterback out of the pocket, and it was one of those classic uh, things where it was like zone coverage on like a third and four. He he absolutely just destroys the right tackle, dips right under him, rips through him, and flushes the quarterback. There's nobody in front of the quarterback for five yards, and you're like, oh, well, he got the first down. And Nolan Smith just has the closing feed and the physicality to just eat that crap for breakfast, man. It was just... I really think this defense can be better this year. I really do. That was one of my biggest takeaways. Havoc isn't there. You know, the QB hurries were real. The D-line took the game over. And I think the Havoc will come if we just keep playing like that. And I think we also played real vanilla. We were running like too high, like dime a lot. We were running like not quite quarters, but something of uh, some a very soft zone a lot of the time is what we were running because we were just getting so much pressure. It didn't matter. So I think that'll change yeah. when we play Notre Dame. We played it close to the best to the best. We, I, I think we called like seven different plays in the second half. Seriously. It was really not a lot, but I mean, I really like having said all of that. I really like the play calling feel of Coley so far. I feel like he has, there, there have just been times and like, I'm not going to pretend that I have a feel for how to call a football game or that like, I know this, but there've just been times in the past where Cheney has, where it's like, it, it's like second and two. And I'm like, man, it'd be a really fun time to just like pull out some weird tunnel screen or like throw a flag route or, you know, try a crossing route across the middle and see if you can't spring a block on a safety, whatever. And I just feel like every time Cheney would just take third and two and would take a two yard gain there. And it's like, yeah, sure. That works. That's technically a successful play, but in terms of just how the offense gets down the field and how threatening the offense feels on any given play, I already feel like with Coley that he is willing to do different things and to take things that are there and not just do exactly what he needs to, to get points, which I think is nice. And that, and that kind of like sort of heuristic, that kind of thinking is important because there's going to be times when you cannot afford to just take what is there. That was the problem with the LSU game last year. We had a really good success rate, but we couldn't score. We couldn't run the ball and we didn't have any other options prepared. And so either out of, you know, a lack of execution or just a refusal to adjust on the part of our coaching staff, we ended up losing the game when honestly we probably shouldn't have. So that that's, that's how I feel. But I mean, I, I think <laughs> I, I can't think of a reason why this team cannot go to the national championship other than Alabama is really good. Clemson is really good and they might just beat us. I cannot come up with a reason that tells me here's a flaw that will keep us from going. Anything that we thought that like, oh, this is concerning. I mean, think about it. Like coming to this game, our biggest concern was the wide receivers. All we've had to say is, man, wide receivers look good. And I think, and I, I don't want to pat us on the back or anything, but all, yeah. I think what we saw on Saturday was a real life enactment of the whole idea that UGA has enough talent that they can just throw it at any problem and they're going to be good. Anyway, what was your takeaway? I think you kind of talked about it a little bit as far as the defense goes. I think that the, this defense, I think, has a much higher ceiling than the previous defense only because it has a bunch of different players capable of a whole lot. We, you know, last year we had Baker and Baker could shut down an entire half of the field, which, yeah, absolutely. That's that's tremendous. But now we have a number of guys that can do pieces of that, which is what we really need, because you can't shut down a whole defense the same way you can shut down one person. You can take one person out of the equation. You can't take out all of them. And so that's kind of I'm really excited to see this team continue to develop over the season. And there will be there will definitely be uh, something going on as, as the year progresses. But because um, a lot of people were kind of talking about the havoc, there wasn't as, uh, as much havoc as they would have wanted. And, and even our predictions from the the last episode will we'll even say that we we expected a little bit uh, a few more sacks. We expect a few more havoc plays. It was a little bit lower than we thought, sure, but it, it's it's not bad at all. Um, and I, I think that we're definitely going to see a lot more as this team uh, trusts each other more, trusts the play calls more. They uh, the, the coaches trust the players more a little bit with uh, the playbook itself. And uh, we're going to see probably some like a, a few weird things over the next couple weeks because we're going to have to just leading up to Notre Dame. We're going to have to practice a few things in game time or else we're just not going to do it until Notre Dame comes around in three weeks. And so. I think we're definitely going to see a little bit more of that as the the, the the weeks, you know, trudge on, so to speak. And then I already got to talk about my my yards per play thing uh, as far as downs go. 
And that was one of my other takeaways, just kind of seeing what else we're going to do with uh, first, second, and third downs to kind of mix things up and not become, are we just going to continue being super efficient like we were in this game, or are we going to mix things up a little bit and be actually more conservative and spread the ball around as far as first, second, third down goes? Who knows? We'll see what happens. Might just be throw the talent at the problem and see which one of it sticks. (laughs) What happens is, I mean, like, here's the thing. We, we... And this is kind of building on what you were just saying, but like you're, you're like, who knows is a good is a good answer mm-hmm. a lot of the time because we really can't predict this. But I feel like as Georgia fans, yeah. and just because of the way college football works, where a lot of the feedback about your team is going to be negative at any given time, and this is true for any, this is true equally. I think for most major programs, a lot of people hate your team. It's fine, right? But I think what that causes us to do is that we tend to be in the, we tend to lean towards the negative. We lean, we lean towards con as opposed to pro. And a lot of our hypotheticals are counterfactuals. So like what happens if this doesn't happen is how we end, we tend to think about college football, right? What happens if the wide receiver core doesn't develop? What happens if our short yardage offense isn't good? And what I'm trying to prove and what I think a lot of the data that we, early data that we have suggests, whether it's, you know, our blue chip ratio being almost 80%, whether it's the depth of this roster top to bottom, you know, subjectively and in context, whether it is the absolute statistical dominance with which you can beat an actual SEC power five team by 26 points and or 24 points and be bored, right? We are already seeing signs of the fact that our question should be not, what if Georgia doesn't do these things, but, but what if Georgia does? And the reason for that is, If you, if we, you, not every thing that comes down to chance, not every complicated combination of factors is a 50, 50 coin flip. And we cannot, when you have enough talent, you cannot rationally assume it's almost just like it's, it's more rational to not be positive or optimistic, but it's more rational to think about what happens if the talent does turn out because there's so much talent that just objectively some of it is going to turn out right so i think a more interesting question is what does this Mm. offense look like if we figure out the short yardage woes and if zamir white is healthy just those two things which i think are both pretty likely to happen and are pretty easy to solve those two things put this offense in a league with the best offenses in this nation right so i mean here's what i'm saying i don't want anybody to get it too excited and i know uga nihilist is at home painting their fingernails <laughs> and you know no that's i'm sorry it's not emo it's nihilist i know you uga, UGA nihilist is at home staring at a blank wall <laughs> and thinking how that is a good metaphor for the way life works and that's okay i'm not telling you that you you should feel happy or excited i'm not telling you that you feel sure that we're going to win the natty but i'm telling you that if we want to get treated like alabama our heuristics our thought processes need to start reflecting the way we talk about alabama there is no reason objectively no reason to think that alabama is more likely to reload and not re uh rebuild than georgia is because the talent is equitable so i I told you to buckle up man i said you sure did and here we are (laughs) yeah i said i'm coming off the top rope you need to buckle up you need to add more points of protection (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so let's run down some prediction reviews real quick. Uh, I don't think that these need a whole lot of explanation after everything we've already been through, since we do do still have uh, a lot of questions to go through. So predictions, the very first one was from you as an over under four and a half Zamir White carries. We both said over he was right at five. Uh, which is really not all that indicative of, of how he played. I think he did really great. I think he, he ended up coming in at 51 uh, yards total, which is pretty solid. Am I right in saying that, or am I just totally making that up off the top of my head? Let's see. So um, Zamir had five plays. He had a 60% success rate. Very, very good. And a 40% explosiveness rate. 20% stuff rate. He was only stuffed once on the day. And his opportunity rate is at 60%. So 60% of his carries went. So I guess three of his carries went for more than five yards. And of those three, all of them were Mm -hmm. more than 13 yards. So yeah, he had some big runs. Uh, Next point was Havoc plays. Nine and a half Havoc plays was our over under. Uh, You said over. It was right at 12, but it was still the lowest in the SEC. So do we have something to worry about after everything we talked about? I don't think so. I mean, Havoc rate rate is an important stat, but... It is also kind of a personality stat. 
in the same way that passes defense to interceptions are personality stuff, mm-hmm. just because a lot of the time, really good defenses have a low havoc rate. I'd like to see it higher than 8%. I have a feeling that if both teams were going out and not just running vanilla, it would have been higher anyway. I also have a feeling that if we counted, uh, if we counted, if traditional havoc rate counted uh, quarterback hurries and or quarterback pressures, that it would be, you know, in the 10 to 15% range, which is not great, but still is not embarrassing. Also, and I cannot emphasize this enough, we were yeah. playing an SEC team, not a good SEC team, but I mean, I'm just saying like there's an, an objective SEC difference team. between playing, I don't know, Georgia Southern or Georgia State and playing Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt may not be that good, mm-hmm. but they are a bowl team, right? They are probably a bowl team this year. I think they have some offensive talent. So it's it doesn't make sense to like sort of downgrade ourselves, which is what I think. I feel like a lot of people are doing this coming in yeah, just because they didn't like the way it looked. I don't know. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Anyway. Uh, over under 12 Uncle Rico snaps. We saw none of Uncle Rico, unfortunately. Maybe we'll see him over the next two weeks. We'll see. Three and a half sacks for UGA. You said under. I said over. Uh, we only got one, but there was, there was a lot a of lot. pressure I mean, all day. If we, if we counted pass, you would have gotten this if we'd counted pass, you know, QB uh, pressure. Sure, but but we didn't. That's okay. I mean, I, I think that we, if you wanted to consider anything conservative on the day, it was the fact that we did not end up going straight for the quarterback every time which is not how you should really measure i think this statistic uh, overall i mean there was so much pressure on the quarterback we even see we, we saw the, the the passing success rate how low it was and everything and so wasn't so bad not 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 anything to necessarily worry about over under one and a half field goals for hot rod you said over what did he get two he had i think three on three the on the day that makes we sense. scored we ended up with 30 yeah he had, yeah we had three nine touchdowns. points in field goals yeah all right hot rod this I see you, Rod. I see you. You did it. You still did it. Oh, we need to check his, his website in a second. Predictions on the game overall. I'll, I'll we, check it. We both predicted the game being a lot higher scoring. 45-21 for you, 45-17 for me. I did win that just because I was only 27 points off uh, as opposed to your 30 points off. Still not proud of that, but that's okay. We just oh ex- my gosh. We, we expected a, a much more dominant uh, Vanderbilt offense. Can I just Can I just give you the latest hot off the presses news from yes, rodrigo blankenship.com 2019 season rodrigo records typical outing and dog season opener win over this typical is in air quotes, typical please. uh as scare quotes rather and dog season opening win over vanderbilt game by game summaries listed below rodrigo's senior season began on the road with a trip to nashville on august 31st and culminated with a familiar result as georgia methodically throttled host vanderbilt 36 in a rare sec matchup to open the 2019 campaign you know honestly ken Ray. Ken Blankenship, that's not too bad. That's a pretty good uh, lead sentence. Mm-hmm. By the game end, this is there's some very there's some pretty good sar- like dad sarcasm in here too. By the game's <laughs> end, Rodrigo had surpassed his average Vanderbilt effort, finishing with 12 points produced by three field goals and three extra points. And three previous in, uh, appearances against the Commodores, Rodrigo has accumulated 30 points with individual game totals of 10, 9, and 11 points. And four career games against Vandy, Rodrigo was 15 for 15 on extra points and 9 for 9 on field goals, attempted for his for, uh, for a total of 42 points. His most by far, or some, his most so far against any opponent. Or, oh, well, yeah, of course, because this is the first time he played an opponent four times. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Rodrigo's first kickoff of the season was 78-yarder, his first exit the end zone on the fly, extending his touchback streak to 14, going back to 2018. He would add another touchback after being instructed to kick it short and order the coverage team to pin Vandy deeper than the 25-yard line. <laughs> real, real sarcasm from Ken Blankenship here. He would add another touchback before being instructed to kick it short. Being instructed is such great passive voice there, right? And instruction was given. It was not <laughs> Rodrigo's fault. Anyway. So he also did, the, the next next little part here is Rodrigo's first touchback was the 170th of his career placing him as the first all-time in the UGA record book, beating Kevin Butler. Hey, good for him, man. Look at you. Look at you. So you want to do some... Um, some of our favorite segment? Yeah, our favorite segment. The hashtag AskCBC segment. So Let's if you would it. like to hear your question on the air, so to speak, then make sure to shoot it over to us. Rather, uh, you can either hashtag AskCBC and ask us on Twitter or Facebook or you can good old-fashioned Gmail it at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. But our very first question comes from Austin Vaughn. Austin asks, so since both Vandy and UGA scored less than y'all predicted, are you more proud of the defense or concerned about the offense? Also, how concerning was that offensive performance in general? I it was not concerning. I'm proud of the defense. About this. <laughs> we shouldn't be worried about the offense. Moving on. Thank you, Austin. 
Football Welcomer, Jean-Luc Godogs is my favorite way to say it. Uh, is the narrative about the offense's second half performance overblown? Was the play calling really that conservative? Uh, it was that conservative. I don't have it broken down by half, but yes, it is overblown. We're working yep. on that for next week. Same uh, six or that. seven plays, I think, was the uh, the last thing you said about it. Uh, Abby Key, stage manager for life. Which Georgia player would you like to have a beer with that you haven't already had a beer with? Smiley face. As if to say, we've already had a beer with somebody. <laughs> we have We have not, so you're not getting that out of me, but we haven't also. Let's just assume our answer is Rodrigo Blinkenship and answer something other than Rodrigo Blinkenship. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I want to have a beer with Nolan Smith when he's of age. Oh, good answer. I just want to see him yeah. smile at me the whole time. You know, real real, real talk though, Jake Fromm. I feel like I could make Jake Fromm like a surprisingly woke white guy. You think so? <laughs> what, yeah. What, do you mean? I feel like, what makes you think he's like, not necessarily woke yet? Um, have you seen what he wore to SEC? The, the, the boy has monogrammed cuffs. If he's, if that doesn't scream young Republican, I don't know what does, but I feel, I feel like I could get him. I feel like I could do the thing that I do to my students where I'm like, well, do you think that men and women should be equal? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, do you think that your mom should get paid as much as your dad? And they're like, yeah. And then I'm like, okay, do you think that, you know, generally speaking that everyone should be paid equally for the same amount of work that they do in the same position? And they're all like, yeah and then i'm like okay congratulations you're all feminists and i feel like i could do that i feel like i could <laughs> get him with that one i feel like he would be like hey hell yeah man have another mill of genuine draft and i'd be like hell yeah jake Fromm." because when you're <laughs> when you when you're fishing for bass out on the lake there's no rules about beer oh boy you know um, where the unt- you know where untapped doesn't go to the lake anyway <laughs> ain't that the truth uh next question comes from bryce comma I saw that comma. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but Bryce comma at Primordial Goo. You got a comma in your name. Vandy's QB caused some issue scrambling. Hertz, Burrow, and Ellinger scrambled effectively last year in our losses. How does UGA's D evolve to minimize this seemingly Achilles heel? Well, I don't. I think it was, and I, I think it was an Achilles heel last year. I don't know that it was a an Achilles heel in this game. So on the game, Riley Neal had eight plays rushing. His success rate was 37% below average. His explosive rate was 0%, and he was stuffed on 25% of his plays. Mm-hmm. You know, his oper- he only had 37% opportunity rate, which meant that only on three of his eight plays did he get more than five yards. That's not the stat line of a guy who's really killing you with, with his feet. Mm-mm. In fact, I would say one of the big highlights of the day was how uh, UGA's front seven now has the lateral explosiveness and quickness to contain a good QB like that. Yeah, and I, actually, I I think it was a problem last year. I'm just saying I don't I don't know that there's anything that we saw in this data that tells us that it is a problem this year so far. Yeah, and it's also something we tried to do last year. It seems like our 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 lack of pass rush kind of prompted us to be more of a contained team. We just didn't have the lateral speed and, and skill across the board to actually have a, an effective contain. But I think that we're definitely going to see a lot more of that being more effective this year rather than, um, you know, I, I feel like a true pass rush, pass rush, like relying on one player, two players to pass rush effectively is more of a risk that Kirby doesn't want to take. Uh, not really in his, in his, uh, his personality there. Uh, John Paul Williams. Why are so many fellow UGA fans so negative? We got a road win against a decent SEC team. The dogs covered the spread 36 victory. Yet I'm seeing many fans upset with the way the team played. Did we look perfect? No. Need to improve? Sure. But no team looked perfect week one. I, I just want to point out that this is a compositionally troubling question. If you're gonna have a bunch of if you're gonna have a bunch of contextuals, you need to put the question last. But this is neither here nor, nor, nor there. Anyway, John good question, John Paul. I don't know. They're wrong. And again, uh, well, I, I don't even really want to get into like wrongness. I think the biggest thing to think about is just like that's what happens when you let when you don't let stats inform how you what you're thinking about a game, right? I was, you, I was just about to say the same thing that that's the you, whole basis of this show. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole point of this podcast is that yes, it felt weird and bad at times. If you look at the stats, it was never in doubt, and it really wasn't bad. It's hard, I would say, to the people. If you're really going to get in an argument about this, I don't know why you would because dog fans are good people. Don't get in a fight with them. Well. The ones that listen to this podcast are good people, whatever. (laughs) But if you really are going to have this argument, what I would ask them is, I want to know objectively what data, what observation from the game can you directly point to being a future sign of an issue that will hamper UGA's development? And what they'll immediately say is short yardage rush. 
but we actually had decent short riders rush success, even with a couple of failed plays that were run in a very obvious situation. I just, I have a really hard time. Like, I know that it's like proving a counterfactual is a fallacy. So I know it's not my, you know, as the person trying to defeat the argument, my point shouldn't be to say, oh, well, prove your argument better. But at the end of the day, I just don't know that the argument has much weight because I'm not sure that it feels to me like a claim in search of an argument. It's like, Mm -hmm. You can't just say, well, we were too conservative and then end it there. There's no why to your thesis, personally, yeah. I think. Now let's move on to our last segment of the show, the Dr. James Bearfield Troll Corner, presented by Cheerwine, the wine that gives you diabetes, TM, TM, TM. First question comes at you hot. Nathan, who's thicker, Jake Fromm or our O-line? Any group of people involving Ben Cleveland is obviously going to be thicker with two Cs. Thicker than a bowl of oatmeal is the O-line. <laughs> what comic book battle would you equate to the Vandy game and why? Ooh. Ooh, that's actually tough. I, I Hold on, just give me a second. at you, but I don't know yet. I have a couple. Just give me a second. I think uh, I would, I would uh, sort of, I would make, I would draw the connection between. There's a at the end of the after Avengers disassembled, which is one of the things that leads into Civil War. Young Avengers take over, and that's when you get like Wiccan and uh, Hulkling and the new Green Arrow, not the new Green Arrow, the new Hawkeye, rather. Uh, it's a really good series, but there's a point during the Young Avengers where they fight some of the old Avengers who have come back and just get their asses thoroughly handled to them. And it's just really, that that's what it felt like to me. It was like, oh man, it's really cool how you guys are doing this. I don't want to be patronizing. We're way better at this and did it originally, but it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's cute. Uh, the the only The most recent comic book battle to me that comes to mind is the teenage kicks uh it's, it's from the boys uh first of all the boys comic book series but if you have watched the show but haven't read the comic books uh, one of the main differences of the comic books in the show is that in the comic books the the boys have some semblance of power and i won't tell you how necessarily if you don't want to if you want to avoid spoilers but they have some amount of powers and so they're able to really just kick the mess out of anybody they want including superheroes, but there is a battle. The very first battle that you kind of see this demonstrated is them with the teenage kicks and teenage kicks are like, Hey, we're here to beat y'all up. We heard you did this whole thing and you're real strong and everyone thinks you're real strong, but it doesn't matter to us. We're going to kick your butt. Blah, blah, blah. And then they just get totally decimated and one of them dies. That is we didn't what kill I kill anybody from Vanderbilt, but that we know of as a team who usually comes out red hot in the third quarter. Should we have any concern? Uh, no, Mm-mm. because, we came out red hot in the first quarter and then it didn't matter. I mean, yeah. it, here, like, I, I know I've, I'm kind of belaboring this point and I, so I apologize. But at the end of the day, ultimately, it's like if we got up 26 to, if we got up 30 to six on Alabama and we were in this control of the game, would anybody be worried about us not scoring more points? I'm not saying if we got up 30 to six and they started coming back and they put in their backup quarterback and they hurt our all feelings. I'm just saying if we go, if we went up on 30 to six and we gave them the ball back three or four times and they just could do nothing, would any of us be upset about that? No. Because no. ultimately that's the standard, right? If you really are the kind of person who thinks this is a one game season and all you care about is, be, uh, is beating Alabama, even by that standard, it didn't matter. Anyway. That's all we got, my man. Well, uh, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard here, you can check us out on Spotify, we're on iTunes, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on pretty much every form of podcast. If we're not on one, tell us and we'll try to get on it. If you want to hear more from us, you can check us out on social media at Chapel Bell Curve, pretty much all the way through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. We don't have a TikTok because I don't hate myself. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Justin might, so we might get one. I don't have a TikTok. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can hit us up at Twitter on DMs. It's probably the best way. You can also email us at shuffleballcurve at gmail.com. Although, full disclosure, you might have to tell us you emailed us on on Twitter just to get us to look at it. But if that's the case, just let us know. Uh, And we will catch you this weekend in the Classic City when we take on the Murray State Racers. But until then, go Go dogs. Go dogs.